there's kind of a saying that you're the head coach and your best player can't have a bad day. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and meditation and mental training and living well in general. This is Billy Hansen, and today's episode is going to be an interview with Coach Eric Daniels. Coach Daniels originally played college basketball at Johnson & Wales University in Denver, Colorado. He had an excellent career there, leading Johnson & Wales to the NAIA National Tournament in 2005. He holds school records at Johnson & Wales at Johnson & Wales in both career points and career steals. And during his junior season, he averaged 4.6 steals per game, which was the best in the country at any level of college basketball, which is pretty amazing. After playing, Daniels immediately began his coaching career, starting off at Southern Utah. And then he spent five seasons at Regis University as the assistant. And at Regis, he recruited me and offered me a scholarship. And I played two seasons for Coach Daniels. And those were two difficult seasons for me, and we talk about some of that on the podcast. And then he took a job with the Orlando Magic, where he focused on player development and video. And after one year with the Magic, he took an assistant job at Utah Valley. And then he, after four years there, he took an assistant coach job at Weber State in Salt Lake City, which is where he is now. Coach Daniels is an amazing coach and a really great high-integrity person, and he's got a really sharp basketball mind, and he's someone who I really look up to a lot, and I am really grateful for the relationship that I built with him and for the opportunity that he gave me at Regis, and it was so great getting him on the podcast. Here we talk about Coach Daniels' career progression. We talk about how he brings such great energy day in and day out. We talk about his time with the Orlando Magic, and then we dive into advanced analytics in basketball. And the most interesting part of this conversation, I think, is how he's using data and analytics to enhance players' confidence and the kind of psychological implications that this might have on players. And so some of the stuff that he's doing and some of the kind of the philosophy that he takes that he blends with data and how it relates to player performance is stuff that I've never thought about. And so it's fascinating to hear his perspective. And I think there's some really actionable insights here that he brings up on the podcast. We also, we also talk about relationship building from the coach's perspective, the balance between recruiting for talent and recruiting for culture. We talk about Damian Lillard's lingering legacy and presence at Weber State, the NBA restart plan. He gives his advice to young athletes on the recruiting pro- process and young coaches who are entering the profession. And we talk about AAU culture and finish off with some rapid fire questions. And in my most naive hippie moment so far on the podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to record in my girlfriend's parents' backyard so that the birds could chirp and that I could look at the flowers and it'd be just amazing. Uh, But unfortunately, all that really happened was I was picking up gusts of wind. (laughs) So um, I did my best job editing that out. I think it turned out okay, but it's just not as crisp as some of my other podcasts. So I apologize for any of that kind of poor audio. But I I, I think I salvaged it. I think it turned out okay. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by sharing it with people who you think might like it. You can leave a review wherever you're listening to it and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me reach new listeners if I get more reviews there. So thank you for that. 
And the best way to stay in contact with my work is to subscribe to my newsletter, which is billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. And if you subscribe there, you'll get updates on new podcasts and new pieces of writing and other content that I'm looking forward to putting out in the coming year or so. So with that, without further delay, here is Coach Eric Daniels. All right, I'm here with Coach Eric Daniels. Coach, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, absolutely, Billy. Thanks for having me. So I think it makes sense to start with your background, um, even as a player. So what was your recruiting process like out of high school, and what made you choose Johnson & Wales? Uh, Well, out of high school, um, I I looked like I was probably 13 years old when I graduated high school, and so... I went and redshirted at a uh, junior college in LA for a year, just, uh, you know, worked on strength conditioning at Santa Monica college. And then I went to uh, Johnson and Wales from there. And there was a couple of schools recruiting me, but, um, I was enticed. It was a good school and, um, I wanted to get a good education. I thought there was a good chance for me to play right away. And I thought the city of Denver would be a really good fit for me, uh, for everything I kind of wanted to do after basketball. Nice. Nice. And did you, did you always know that you wanted to be a coach? When did you know that you wanted to go into coaching? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of like the family business. My dad's been a coach forever. He just recently retired. And right. I actually, when I was in school, I didn't think I would do that. I thought I was just, I got my business degree and I thought I would start on that path. And once I graduated and finished my senior year, I just wasn't quite ready to just sit behind a desk. <laughs> so yeah. I started, yeah, started being a, I started a volunteer assistant at Southern Utah and I just kind of called around to see who might have a volunteer spot and uh, they had one. And so I went down there for a year and it just kind of started from there. Nice. Nice. And then what was your, um, progression like from that volunteer position? Where, where did you, when did you move into your first official coaching role? So I was one year at Southern Utah as a volunteer and I was, you know, coach Reed was awesome and he let me do a lot. Uh, you know, I got to do film and workout players and, you know, I was doing that, everything from that to doing the laundry. So I got a lot of experience doing a lot of things there. And then from there, I went to uh, Regis uh, with Coach Porter. He gave me an opportunity and uh, I was 24 and I got to be an assistant coach at a Division II school. And so I was really excited about that opportunity and um, got my master's degree while at Regis. And so it really worked out well. And I was there just over five years. Yeah. Um, from there, I, I got an opportunity with the Orlando Magic in a scouting position. And so it was a big jump from D2 to the NBA, just lifestyle wise and everything else. But basketball is still basketball. Um, 10 Mm. feet, you know, hoops are 10 feet high and people are running a lot of the same stuff. And so it was a little adjustment for the speed of the game, but um, that was a great opportunity that Jacques Vaughn gave me. And I was there one year. And Mm. from, from there uh, I went to Utah Valley university with uh, coach Mark Pope. Um, he was a former NBA player and he was an assistant coach at BYU at the time. And, uh, we had a lot of success at Utah Valley. That was a great run, got to recruit and, you know, coach some really good players who are playing pro overseas and have had many NBA workouts. We've had some fringe guys and I hope some of them still make it. They're right there at the cusp. But, mm-hmm. and then just, uh, this past year I went to uh, Weber state with coach Randy Ray and I just finished my first year, um, here at Weber. Nice. Nice. 
And um, did you, so you were 24 when you started at Regis. I didn't know you were that young. Did you start as the head assistant there? Yes. I mean, uh, it was a division two school, so there's really only one spot um, right. at that time. And so I kind of just got to jump right in and coach Porter was great at letting me hit the ground running and recruiting and working out players. And I mean, yeah. he had been there, I think at that time for 34 years. And so it was kind of a system in place. He, he knew what he wanted and knew what he wanted to do. And so I really got it. It was a great opportunity for me to just learn from him, but being the only assistant coach, you know, I was in charge of academics and, yeah. um, you know, recruiting and ordering gear. I mean, just everything travel. And so it was a great learning experience just from the fact of getting to do everything. Nice. Nice. So, you know, so I played for you for two years and one of the impressions that you made on me and my friends, my teammates was just your, of all the people I've seen in basketball culture, not many have the same consistent high energy and high positive, high positivity attitude that you brought every day. It was something that even though in those seasons we were having sometimes tough stretches or tough seasons and enduring some losses, but no matter what was happening, you always showed up with very high energy and enthusiasm. One of the one of the lines that you often said that I that stuck with me was, um, you st- "It'd be like some brutally early morning practice, and you would come in and be like, I woke up before my alarm this morning, Bill.' <laughs> like <laughs> clapping your hands." <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still use that one. The players still get a kick out of that one. So I got I got to get some new material. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, I'm wondering, just. How much do you, of that is do you think is just innate, like part of your personality, and how much did you cultivate that over time? Like, is there are there days where you seem more like the rest of us, where you really wake up without that spark and you have to kind of bring it out of yourself, or is that just kind of part of who you are? Uh, you know, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Obviously, we have early morning practices. I think there was you know stretches at Regis where we would have five a.m. practices, and yeah. uh, you know sometimes you're tired, but you know, you can't expect your players to, you know, bring it and have great enthusiasm and want to be there if you're showing that you don't. And yeah. so, um, you know, there's, I want to be a head coach one day and there's kind of a saying that you're the head coach and your best player can't have a bad day. You can't have a bad mm-hmm. practice. And so, you know, that's where I want to be one day. And so my goal every day is like, Hey, I'm not gonna have a bad practice. I'm not gonna have a bad workout. And hopefully that's infectious because even if you're not playing your best, but you're locked in and you're bringing, bringing it and you, you know, you want to compete, you want to be there. I think, you know, that, that that's half the battle right there. You know, if you're yeah. locked into what you're doing, whether it's in a game and a scouting report or just wanting to be at practice or wanting to be at that workout or conditioning or weightlifting session, whatever it is, that's half the battle because it's such a mental game. And, and if you're not checked in mentally, you, you can just forget it. So yeah. I would say, I'd say it's kind of both, right? It's, you know, I kind of, I like being there. I love what I do. And so that makes it easier. And the other thing is, yeah, sometimes, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta get up and do it. Right. And you're like, Hey, there's a lot worse things I could be doing today than. Yeah. So yeah. let's make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. And so is it as simple as that for you, or you just have to remind yourself whenever you're kind of feeling sluggish that, you know, it's not acceptable to have a bad practice or to, to not bring full energy today? Or is there some kind of mental routine that you go through to prepare for a practice? What does that look like for you getting ready? Uh, you know, before practice, I like to have about 30 minutes to myself, um, mm. whether that be getting ready for the uh, drills or the 
you know, the aspects of the practice that I'm going to have to coach, make sure I'm going to be clear and concise. I like over, uh, looking over the practice plan and, uh, and seeing where I, you know, where I'm going to be instructing the drills or whatever else and to be extra locked in and just know how I want to communicate. But, but, you know, really it's just, you know, mentally I'm like, Hey, like I, I'm going to try to do, I'm going to do the best I can today. You know, that's all I can worry about is this rep, this drill, this, and that's all I ask the players. If they're worried about tomorrow's practice or a game three weeks from now, they're not going to be their best that day. They're not going to be the best in that lift. And if you can just yeah. live in that moment, and that's what I've really tried to work on over my career is like the game's going to come, right? But like, what do I have control of right now? And what I have control over is having a great practice or being really uh, trying to have my best communication skills in that drill and bringing really good en- energy. Those are all things I can control. Right. Yeah. I can't control if a kid misses a corner three, just like he can't control it. But what he can control is having his feet ready, you know, having his hand targets ready, be, being ready for the shot and getting up as many reps as he can um, so that he's ready in the game. Now, he might make that shot, might miss it, but you can only control what you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's definitely an attitude and a skill that's transcends sports and basketball, something that should be worked on in all aspects of life. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So what is your what was your time like with the Magic? Tell me about that year. So it, I got there, I think, like September first. Uh, drove cross country from Denver, and uh, got <laughs> there, and I really just hit the ground running. It was kind of a week of getting my bearings, and you know, kind of learning, you know, where my office was, and you know, getting my fingerprint so I can get in the facility and all that. And then we started camp, or guys show, started showing up for workouts and. Then we started training camp shortly after that, and you know it's it was a it was shocking at first that how fast the game moves. Those guys are so big, so strong, and it happens so fast. Sometimes you're like, what what did I just see? But you know, talking to other scouts and everything like that, they were really they were great to me, and they're like, hey, it's going to be like that for a while, but just make sure you go back and watch the film, and so you can slow it down, and then it, you learn quickly. And luckily. You know, it took me, you know, three or four months. And then I was like, oh, I kind of picked up everything. It's like, oh, these are the same actions or these same kind of things we were trying to do. It just goes really fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so but no, it was a great experience. And the one thing that I loved about being in the NBA and I thought it helped my career so much was there's no there's no study hall. There's no recruiting. Yeah. Um, there's no you know, there, there's just none of that stuff. It's just all X's and O's. Right. And kind yeah. of player management and trying to keep them you know, make sure they're trying to be the best they can be in those roles and you're managing people in the, uh, because they have contracts they're trying to get, or, you know, they're trying to, you know, whatever their self agenda is. So learn how to manage players and things like that, but then just X's and O's. So the great thing about that, it's, it's almost like I got three years of college basketball experience in one, because first of all, you play 82 games and yeah. then I wasn't doing anything else really than X's and O's. And those players are so smart that it's not like in high school or college where you're like, Oh, you need to do this. You need to do that. I would go to Luke, like Luke Rittenauer was a 12 year vet and you know, he'd come to me or I'd go to him and be like, Hey, did you see this on that play? Or Hey, what did you think of this? Because he knows the game better than I do. He's played 82, 82 games. And if you want to include preseasons and playoffs and all that, he's played, you know, 1200 games in his NBA career. And so he's seen so many things and I would just be like, Hey, what did you see on this? Hey, why'd you look at that? And we had really good guys on their team and they would, they'd really communicate and you know, they were great to me. And so that's what was so cool about that is I was 
probably learning more from them than they, you know, than they did for me for sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And did, did for, so from the outside as kind of a numbers nerd, you know, my, my day job is data science. And so I'm interested in all of the advanced analytics that are being implemented into the NBA. What were the most interesting things you learned as far as implementing advanced analytics into the NBA? Well, I, I've always been really intrigued by uh, analytics. I actually did an internship at, with uh, in college for the Nuggets, and they were one of the first teams, them, the Rockets, and I can't remember one other team that started analytics, but now yeah. everybody's using it. And we had a guy in our front office, and it was, uh, I believe, David Bench, but he was our like analytics guy. Like He did all of that stuff, and, mm. and I would meet with him quite a bit just because I was interested. But it, it's a huge part of the game, and the main thing is is – you know, and you're trying to get your the players to understand. You know, how do you get the goal is to get one point per possession, and the whole thing is how do you do that, right? And mm. a ball screen coming off a ball screen into a long range two is not the way you do that because even if you're really good and you shoot 45 percent from you know, 19 feet or whatever it is, that's only point or that's point nine points per possession, yeah. right? Even if you're really good and you shoot at 45 percent, which Almost no one does that, right? Where yeah. you only have to shoot 33% if you shoot a pull-up three, and that's one point per possession. Yeah. And so just the difference in that, and you know, in the NBA, corner threes are shorter than the above-the-break threes, which is different than the college or high school game, right? And so that's a factor. Yeah. Um, and it's just all about what where you can get your mo- the most bang for your buck almost, which is threes, uh, dunks, and layups, and then you love guys that get fouled because – Shaq, I don't know what he was from the free throw line, but if he was 50%, let's say it's somewhere around there, which is terrible, he's still one point per possession. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, I, and so I yeah, about yeah, love, yeah. Love free, yeah, love free throws, uh, love getting the line. And I think another thing, we, uh, we, I thought we did, a, we did a really good job at Utah Valley while I was there was if there is a poor free throw shooter, let's say he shoots 60%. And, you know, that's when a kid gets nervous, right? It's like, oh, I shoot 60%. They don't even want to take the free throws. They don't even want to get fouled because they don't want to go up there and shoot a bad percentage. And the way we we, we relayed it to them was like, hey, if you shoot 60%, I want you to get fouled every single time down the floor and make 60% of your free throws. And that's 1.2 points per possession. And we'll never lose a game this season. Huh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a mental approach too, but it's also factual. Right. If yeah. you shoot sixty percent and he gets two free throws, that's one point two points per possession. That is unbelievable. We'll take that all day. We're gonna win. And now he doesn't feel as much pressure, like, oh my goodness, I don't want to shoot these free throws. So yeah. in doing that, maybe it bumps him up to sixty six, sixty seven percent. Right? Just because he's yeah. a little more relaxed. So it's a great way of relaying things to players, but it's also it's also factual. And then they have to embrace that, you know, doing a post up fadeaway from twelve feet is not a very good shot. I know you yeah. might make it sometimes, but guess what? You're 0.4 points per possession when you do that. And so why are you fighting math? You know, yeah, you can yeah. make it sometimes, but you're you're hurting yourself. So why wouldn't you just get to the middle and shoot your little hook shot where maybe you're 0.9 points per possession? Or, you know, and just things like that. So you're just trying to help these kids be the best players they can be and make it as simple as they can for them. And it's really hard to argue with math. You know, <laughs> we can yeah. argue a lot of things, but math is pretty factual. And so when you have that kind of data, it makes it way easier to just show a kid like, hey, you know, it, like uh, you're, you're really good going right. Now we need to work on your left hand. You know, I know you think you're better going left, but you're actually not. Mm. And you'd be shocked how many players think they're go- better going one way than the other, where the analytics say the complete opposite thing. Huh. Um, like Kevin Durant, we always use the example, Kevin Durant in his MVP year, his 
game was completely right side up. So what he did the most, he did the best. And then second most, second best. Like his game was perfect. Where you see some players fight who they are and what they do the most, they do the worst. And then, yeah. and it's because, and it's just like, you're not helping yourself, right? You want to be the best player you can. You actually have to know your game. Yeah. I love that framing at the free throw line. I'd never thought about it that way. And even from trying to get players to understand that dynamic is really important, but I, I can understand. I've actually thought about this before. It's like from a player and even from a fan's perspective, it's like I, when the ball goes in, in the basket, you get a little hit of whatever the chemical is, dopamine or whatever. You get excited and happy. And when you miss, you get the opposite. And so even if, yeah, if you're shooting a little bit better from on pull-up twos than pull-up threes, then I think that if you're not careful, you can fool yourself and think, you know, start to subconsciously or consciously think it's better for me to get to this spot and, and shoot because I make it more often. But you have to, I think, probably remind yourself over and over that, even though the ball doesn't go in the hoop as much, it's better for myself and for the team to shoot um, a little bit less percentage from three. Absolutely. And and it's like if – and, Billy, you were a really good shooter, and I know, like – and your senior year, I was so happy for you. You shot – when I was gone, you shot the – you know, you, you shot it so well. But even – I wish, like, I knew analytics more when I was there because, you know, for you not to shoot that corner three or to second-guess yourself, because even when I felt like you weren't making shots, you were still probably 32 or 33%. Right, yeah. which is one point per possession. Yeah. So shoot that shot because if you pass it up, or if you do a one dribble pull up, or you pass it up and swing it, and we don't get as good of a shot, you're not just hurting yourself; you're hurting our team. Like we need yeah. you, even when you're off, to shoot that shot because you give us one point per possession, and we love yeah. that. And so you shoot it all day, and that gives a kid a whole different, you know, feeling about taking that shot and wanting that shot. Yeah, yeah, and I love how that yeah relates directly to confidence issues because I think. You know, that was my, obviously, as you saw, biggest problem in the years that you were there as a coach was just feelings of, you know, I'm not earning my spot. I'm not living up to my role. I'm not doing this and that. And one thing that helped me, I mean, it was a lot of things. I think I got like mentally stronger, partly through meditation later in my career. And I had to do that in order to become the player that I should have been. But it was also my role was completely simplified as a senior, and I wasn't allowed to do, like you said, my game became more right side up. I wasn't allowed to go try to shoot layups over bigs. It was you either shooting a three, you're pump faking, or you're passing and moving. And it, that definitely helped simplify my role. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, like, just like you said, no, it's like if you're shooting over a big, first of all, that's a hard shot for anyone. But yeah. then when you miss, which it's tough, you're already down, right? Like you said, the ball doesn't go in, you feel down. Whether yeah. and whether like when you can remove those kind of plays, you know, you just feel better about yourself. You're re you're removing negative plays. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that comes to mind before I forget is your framing of the free throw. Um, I think a lot of times after games, teams will will see, oh, we missed eight free throws and we lost by four or whatever. You know if. Uh, if only we had made those free throws. But that, I've always thought that was kind of a, a misrepresentation of what really happened because, yeah, it's not even on the free throws you missed, if you made one of two, like you said, that's one point per possession, and you can't be sure that, you know, you're, you you could never expect to make 95% of your free throws anyway. So I just think this, some bad uh, conclusions can come from looking at missed free throws at the end of a game. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, I'm mean, every kid that shoots a free throw wants to make it. 
right? They want to make right. it. So right. it's not like they're trying to miss. And so I don't like that either. Even shooting percentages, I'm not really that into because like I said, it's analytics. If mm-hmm. you shoot 40% and you shot all threes and the other team shot 48%, but they shot all twos and they got the same amount of shots up, the team that shot 40% with all threes won. Yeah. Right. And so it's even shooting percentages are off. The thing that I like to look at is what was our possessions compared to theirs? And that includes offensive rebounds, turnovers, right? Did Mm. we get more shots and more possessions than our opponent? Because if we do that and we get one point per possession, we're probably going to win. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really great. It's interesting too. I, I know, Oh, I, I forgot that you talk shit about baseball a lot, which is, uh, <laughs> but they're the, the yeah, they're they're kind of abandoning batting average in 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 the MLB just because it's kind of a similar dynamic. It's a bad um, signal for how good a hitter is because mm-hmm. more it has more to do with your slugging percentage, your on base percentage. There's just better signals and metrics to determine how much you're actually contributing, and so players who we used to think were all-stars 10 years ago they're kind of reevaluating. like wow he actually wasn't as good as some other players who had who struck out more but also hit more home runs and got on base more so anyway yeah it's and, interesting and, good and, and baseball is so far ahead of basketball because it's an older sport right and mm. so we still have so much catching up to do when it comes to analytics and just like football and everything else right they have to figure out a way to do analytics because it removes so many gray areas and baseball's done a great job and they're only getting better every single year and so i think basketball can learn a lot from baseball right right and i think there might be some extra challenges in basketball because it's so synergistic um Mm -hmm. between players um i actually had an interview with a company called second spectrum in la have you heard of them uh the name sounds familiar they do a lot of the nba analytics now um it's sometimes on ESPN they'll say this stats brought to you by second spectrum, which they must have that in the contract that you have to cite their stats. Um, But anyway, yeah, I was talking to, you know, they have these, they have big cameras installed in the NBA arenas now that track player movement and they're trying Mm -hmm. to do a really advanced analytics, like um, shot difficulty, like at what speed is your defender closing out and at what distance were they from you when you shot and which players are the best shooters compared to the, diffi- the shot difficulty. And it's still an imperfect stat, but that, that kind of stuff is really fascinating to see like where it will go. Yeah, and like even, you know, sports always evolve, right? Just like everything. And so basketball being, you know, younger than baseball, there's a lot of room to grow. One thing that nobody ever talks about that I've thought about now for like five years is, let's say it was almost mathematical. If you're up seven with two minutes to go, having a free throw team go in, you don't need mm. to really get defensive stops anymore. You just need to not turn it over and not and just make all your free throws or make a good portion of them, and you'll mm. win the game. It's like football. They didn't used to have special teams, and they figured out, like, that's a whole segment of the game now. They used mm. to just throw some guys out there. So I'm wondering if, you know, there's some analytics out there that say, hey, this is the time and this is how much you're up. Like, hey, if you just don't turn it over and you make 80% of your free throws, you win 95% of the time or something. Yeah. And so that could be a time to take all the big guys out. And it's almost just like a team. There might be a guy that never plays, but he's a great ball handler and he makes 90% of his free throws. And so you just Mm -hmm. put him in for those two minutes or whatever it is. And you win 95% of the time. I think that would be like another way we could look at it where it's not so, you know, such a gray area where basketball is different than baseball. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. Well, I'll look forward to when you're a head coach in the NCAA tournament and you you put in your free throw lineup and all the all the commentators go like, what what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, just don't let them shoot threes, you know. So just be I don't care how many offensive rebounds they get, just make them shoot twos and we won't turn it over and we'll make our free throws and we'll walk away. Yeah. My team will be five five ten and under. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So another question I had for you was about building relationships with players, which is something that you seemed really good at when I played for you. Um, what is your philosophy on that? How, how do you try to cultivate positive relationships with players? Um, you know, obviously, you know, when you're recruiting a player, you get to know them and their family and where they're from. And so that always helps. But at the end of the day, that's what that's what this profession is about is the relationships you know, with the people around, whether it's me with the fellow coaches, um, our, you know, our, our staff, uh, and then the players, right? Like if, if this just all comes down to wins and losses, then I'll, I'll get out of the profession mm. because, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's so much more than that. You know, this is, I mean, it's awesome that I get to talk to you and I mean, I haven't coached now in like five or six years and, you know, it's like, we haven't, like, I, I, it seems like I we haven't missed a beat and yeah. same with, uh, some of the other guys. And, you know, I still talk to them. I still know where they're at and, and that's what it's about. And, um, and so really if, I mean, I was a player just like most coaches were. And so at, at every point, you know, I've kind of gone through what those, what you guys have gone through, whether it's a slump or whether it's having a lot of success, um, not getting the playing time, whatever it is. Right. So there's always common ground. Um, and when you can just bring a kid in or take them to lunch, um, and just, talk, and maybe they don't even talk about basketball, right. That's yeah. a lot of it. How, because like there's a lot going on. These kids are away from home for the first time. A lot of them are, uh, you know, they got things with parents or things back home or whether it's a, you know, girlfriend, like they have a life outside of basketball. And sometimes we don't think about that. And I think sometimes yeah. it's really important just to pull them aside and just like, Hey, how's everything going? Let's, let's just talk. Yeah. And, and I think that's where coaches, I mean, we, I mean, cause we do, we get hired and fired and everything on wins and losses, but you know, if that's all you're focused on, you probably won't, went as much as you probably should have yeah yeah and that kind of thing stuff that you know that kind of thing that you did for me during my tough um stretch as a player same with you know steve ledesma who was the ga that year that that really meant a lot to me to, as a player and I, I i know that my teammates felt the same way so what what kind of things do you look for when you're recruiting a player that are not necessarily basketball related um what kind of people do you want on your team you know uh, we want good teammates now i know we all say that and what is that and obviously there's a balance because it's just like when you're drafting a player or anything else there's just pure ability right and yeah. then there's the character side of it, what kind of people they are and what kind of you know competitors they are whatever right which is the intangibles and you have to find something in the middle if we knew exactly where it was we'd draft or recruit that player every time. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's all those things, obviously, you know, we are trying to take guys with really good talent um, because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah, we are basketball coaches, but I think it has to fit within the framework of, you know, what you're trying to do as a program and what the, and I think it changes with who the head coach is, right. What does he value? Yeah. Um, right now I work for a coach, coach Ray, who's, I mean, culture is everything. And Weber States had a great tradition and, He's the winningest coach in the conference's history and everything. And he's like, we are about culture, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge thing where I've worked for other coaches where it's like, I want really good players. Just bring me players and we'll figure out the rest later. 
And yeah. so I think there's a lot of different ways to do it. And we're all trying to find that exact balance, but you know, there really is none, right? This is, I mean, these are, yeah. we're human, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And even if, and they have things going on in their lives. So even if you, you know, take a kid like, Oh, he's great. You know, great character kid, all those things. You never know what a kid's going to go through through those four years. That could be a distraction. And so, um, you know, we try to find a balance, but culture is huge here at Weber. And so we try to find guys that would be great teammates and, you know, and just want team success. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, is the, the legend of Damian Lillard pretty alive at Weber? Is he, uh, I mean, he's my favorite yeah. player. So I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Since he's like a top five player in the world. Yeah. He's pretty big deal up here in Ogden and he comes back. He actually wanted to come back, but you know, we've had the gyms and everything closed and he has to work out here during the uh, quarantine, but we actually couldn't even get it in. That's how All locked right. down we were. And so, but yeah, he comes back every summer and he's great. And uh, he actually played in the alumni game, which I think we were all really nervous about because if he got hurt, it's like, Oh my goodness. He's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's almost worth more than everyone else in that arena combined. <laughs> so, so yeah, we didn't want him to get hurt, but it all went well. And I mean, he's been great. He's been great to our guys. Um, you know, when, when they're here on campus and their players and everything, you know, he'll, he says, call me if you need anything. And, you know, oh, he's been cool. really great. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a definitely a big deal here at Weber state. Nice. Nice. And do you have an opinion on the NBA restart plan? I, as just just so we can date this podcast, or this is where, <laughs> however however many months in a coronavirus lockdown. So uh, well, I forgot how many three months. I don't know. <laughs> something like that, and yeah. you know it's going to be interesting. They're going to play it in Orlando. That's their plan on July thirty first, and I think they think they can quarantine these guys. And but you know we have to ask about their families and their yeah. there's hotel workers and their staff for the games. Like I'm guessing they're not quarantined. And so it's going to be really interesting to try to do this. Um, I know they like, you know, this is very fiscally motivated, obviously Um, they need to make the money, but I mean, there's going to be a ton of challenges and I just think there's a ton of unknowns and let's say it's like, uh, you know, it's second round of the playoffs and LeBron James has it. Is he just done? Like, so Lakers are just like not going to win. There's just so many aspects to this where it's like, okay. Like, we'll just kind of see what happens. But yeah, there's definitely challenges, but it sounds like they're going to go forward. I think all I'm going to say, I think it's going to be very interesting, but I hope it goes well because I think other pro, whether it's college football, NFL, college basketball, we're all going to be taking notes to see how that goes. Yeah. It's amazing to, yeah. I mean, if somebody, if if a player gets it in the normal contact tracing is who have you been in contact with? And on a basketball team, well, all of my teammates. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the and the team we played last night, or the team yeah. we played, th- and the team we played three nights ago, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, and then they played games, so it's gonna be, it's gonna yeah. be, uh, it's gonna be very challenging. Yeah, and selfishly as a fan, I just cannot. I'm so fascinated to see. <laughs> I don't have to go do it, so it'd be amazing to see how the games are played without fans and stuff. So I hope it works out. Yeah, and yeah, we'll we'll see. And I'm interested to see if there's some players are just like, hey, I'm not playing in this. You know, yeah. and those could be those could be important players and valuable players to the team. And uh, yeah, there's there's just so many so many questions. So yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So another question I have here: What advice? Let's say you could talk to a high school senior 
a senior who's not high level D1 getting all kinds of offers from all kinds of schools, but somebody who's maybe like in between levels, just somebody who's trying to find a good fit in college. Do you have any advice that comes to mind for a player on like what kind of things to look for during the recruiting process? You know, so many kids, I mean, and it's not their fault. There's so many things coming at them during the recruiting process, whether it's, you know, high school, his high school friends or, you know, and then there's parents and there's the community of you should do this, you should do that. I think it's so simple to be like, just go where you're wanted, mm-hmm. right? Whether it, so if it's fringe and, you know, you're D2 and possibly D1, you know, and there's a D2 coach really recruiting you and financially it makes sense for you and your family with the scholarship package and that's who really wants you, like that's where you go because you're going to get the benefit of the doubt there, right? Yeah. When you're struggling or, uh, you know, when you've had a bad game, they're like, hey, or like, let's, hey, put him in. He's our guy. Where, and that's at all levels, right? Am I high major or am I mid major? So that would be my biggest thing. And even if it's between high major and high major, just where are you really wanted? Where are the coaches putting in the most? And where, and if you think you can be successful there, then, then yeah, that's, that's what I think of those two things. Can I be successful there? And then do they really want me? And then you have to decide culturally and, you know, education wise, if that all matches up, obviously that's really important. But, but just from yeah. the athletic side, if everything else is even just go where you're wanted and you really believe that you can be successful and that kind of takes away all the outside noise and um because that i get it that's there's a lot of things out there and you don't want to just win the signing day right because some kids just go to the biggest place they can to win the signing day post it on twitter and then that's why they're that's why there's 1,000 kids transferring in division one every year wow i didn't know that was that many wow um yeah yeah, i love that don't just try to win the signing day because i mean this has been a topic i've talked about a lot on the podcast but it's worth coming back to i think it's i remember in my experience too, I mean, growing up in a small town, breaking my high school records and having so much success, there there are people in the community who think that I should have been playing for like Kentucky or something, yeah. or like you know they they thought they were going to be seeing me on TV the next year, and that kind of inflates you. And obviously, yeah, you've got you want that status and that, especially like the the D one title is such a weird like status symbol um, yeah. when you're leaving high school, and so. It can be hard and Billy, to. Yeah. yeah, and I don't, I don't know what you're doing. You should be in Ashland right now. You'd be mayor. I went, <laughs> when I was there recruiting you, you had every rec- You would be mayor right now, Matt. <laughs> it wouldn't even be close. So I don't know why you're hanging out in Denver. It's <laughs> a really good point. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and you know, you just see that too. Like some of the guys at Regis that I coached who had Division One looks but decided to go to Regis – and they just murdered and like had an amazing careers and all of this success. And it's not not like it was perfect, but it seems like it's better to be at the top of one hierarchy than at the bottom of another, even if the signing, yeah, if your post on Instagram doesn't look as, as impressive, right? Yeah, the post, on, the post on Instagram lasts one day. <laughs> and then yeah. your college career lasts four or five years, right? And so yeah. I think it's, if a kid can get that in their head and, it's not always, you know, it might not be the sexiest school or the biggest name or whatever else, but at the end of the day, that does not matter. Yeah. You know, can you accomplish your goals there? And do you think you can be successful? And does that coach really believe in you? Yeah. And even the, the amount of people who actually from your hometown that end up following you throughout your whole career, the circle is like, is way smaller than you imagined. <laughs> it's not like oh, you, know, yeah. you have this, this idea when you're a kid that everyone's going to care for the next five years. It's, <laughs> it's, a, 
it's strange. No. Yeah. yeah, as soon as you leave and as soon as you kind of like it's just over, right? There's a next yeah. kid and he's playing in those varsity games and that's who they're hyped about. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any opinions on AAU basketball? I've actually done a, a bit of reading into this and I, there's that famous Steve Kerr quote that criticizes the culture for, you know, kids play four games in a day and win, winning is devalued and if the parents don't like the coach, they'll trans they'll they'll move them to another team and um, I'm just wondering from your experience recruiting and I'm sure you go to AAU tournaments is, is that, do you share that, that mindset that there's something kind of pervasive about, or it's not pervasive, uh, cor- corrosive about AAU culture in terms of playing team basketball and skill development, or do you think that's been overstated? Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, those things by that said by Steve Kerr are true, right? You're playing four games in a day and yes, these kids are switching teams and it could be weekend to weekend. Um, where they're playing for two different teams. And so I, I get that. We, uh, I think it was just last year where they decided to do like a high school thing and, and all the, and all this, but that makes it hard on us because we just want to go to a gym where there's the best players, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you were playing for your high school team, Billy, like really, we're all just in this gym to see one guy, right? (laughs) Where there, and if you're on like an AAU team from Portland, then there's eight kids on that team that people are there to see. And so logistically that just makes way more sense um, for recruiting and seeing kids, but I completely get the other end of it. And it is, I mean, as we've seen the problems that the NCAA is having right now, where these kids are worth a ton of money. Right. And so when you go to a high EYBL event, it's, I mean, these guys, a lot of them are going to be pros one day, but the next year or two, they're going to have to basically play for tuition fees, room and board. And so there, it can get a little, you know, dicey there in the way that that's navigated, but I don't know what the answer is, right? There's so many levels to why it works and why it doesn't work. I just, uh, you know, with college, the way it's set up and with having to go to college for one year with the MBA rule and how much, you know, with social media, Zion Williamson is an absolute star and probably could be a millionaire by the time he's 16 now. Or mm. Lamelo Ball, right? They have 10 million followers or whatever it is, and yeah. they just got their driver's license, and so they're already a brand. And it's just it's so different now, and and so I don't know what the answer would be if you got rid of AAU basketball, but mm. there are some aspects that are like you kind of wish it was different. But I don't have the answers to you know to fix the problem completely. Yeah, yeah. I have some of some of the foreign players that I've played with and played or coached talked about how the the system's very different in Europe where they play club basketball with the, some of the same players and coach for most of their adolescence and there's less games. First of all, do you have much experience recruiting uh foreign players and do you think that that dynamic might be influencing the rapid influx of foreign players into the NBA? I think there's like a third of the players now in the league are foreign. Isn't that right? Yeah. I don't know what the exact number is or the percentage. I mean, it's going up and up and you know, these players overseas are really good just because it's becoming more of a globalized game, right? More and more people are playing. And yeah. uh, But you know, as far as the club level thing, the reason that that's different is that they don't have high school teams really over there or they don't have a college teams. Yeah. And so, yeah, you kind of join a team if you're a good player at 13 and that's your club. But, you know, it's kind of different too how they can turn pro earlier and we don't have that here. 
And yeah. so I don't know how it would exactly work if we did that here. And I think our system at this point is our system. I mean, college athletics in the United States is a, right. I mean, it's a bit, it's a business. And right. so you'd be, if you changed it to this club system, you'd be changing a billion dollar industry. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, that wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what about the coaching lifestyle? Maybe this could be an advice to a young coach who's trying to get into coaching. It seems like, you know, just like anything else in life, there's everything comes with the sacrifices, but the, the, the sacrifices are pretty stark and clear when you become a coach, it seems to me, where you get to wear basketball shorts and compete and have these awesome perks, but you're also dealing with a lack of job security. Um, you might have to move a lot. I, I could, could imagine that family life might be more challenging. Do you have anything to say about how you've nav- navigated that so far? Well, yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle. Like I'm at, you know, Weber state, I'm planning on being at Weber state, you know, obviously, but you know, that could change here next year where, you know, I you just, yeah, it's just so different, right? Year to year, you're just kind of going season by season and it's not even a region that you could be in. You could be in, I can be at Ogden, Utah today, and I could be coaching in Alabama, Birmingham next year. And you just kind of, that's the lifestyle that is a coach you've, we've chosen. And so it makes it difficult, but for a young coach, you know, my thing would just be, you know, try to figure out a way to be a part of a program. If you want to get to college, try to figure out a way to be a, you know, whether it's a volunteer, um, grad assistant, just get your foot in the door. Maybe it's a manager, um, for your junior, senior year of college. That's a great way to get and show that you're really into it. And then maybe you can get picked up by that program as a, as a grad assistant, but just really be a sponge and know that there's so much to this profession that a lot of people don't see. I know you said like, Oh, you put on shorts every day and you get to go to practice and do all that. And I'm like, you guys, the X's and O's are like 15% of my job, (laughs) right? Like I'm on the road recruiting in tiny towns for a junior college, or I'm, uh, you know, meeting with players on academics, uh, you know, and seeing what assignments they have in and, you know, meeting with counselors and there's, and there's compliance rules. There's just, uh, there's so many things that go into this that nobody else sees. And yeah. I mean, it's a lot and the hours are very long. I mean, there's, if we were paid hourly, uh, <laughs> it would not be great pay, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah. And so it's, uh, but I get it. It's, and it's very hard to move up, right? It's very competitive. And so we see these coaches at, you know, high major schools and you're like, I want to be him or I want to be coach K. And, you know, there's like four coaches or five coaches in America that have just kept their jobs. Right. Mm. And just got to like, ride it out. It's like coach K Izzo, Mark few, like a lot of times. Yeah. Eventually you'll probably will be fired, which is a crazy way to think, but that's kind of the way this business goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You get this skewed idea. It's kind of like I had a, Tyrone Holmes on the podcast who had he had like spent four years in the NFL and he was saying you know every all the fans look to the NFL and you think Tom Brady or you know whoever it is <laughs> like you know you get all the status and the girls and the money and it's like no, no most of us play for three years and then we get cut <laughs> it's yeah. uh yeah it's tough but yeah. there's also obviously a, a lot of upsides that come with it too because it's such a beautiful profession and one yeah. that you can really make a difference in people's lives all right, well, you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Oh, wow. All right, let's do this. All right. Jordan, LeBron, or Kobe, and why? Okay, well, first of all, it'll always be Jordan for me. Um, 
that was like my childhood and everything else. And he's, I mean, he's the greatest winner and of all time, he's six for six in the finals. And, you know, he's done it different ways with kind of different teams. He's always had Scotty, but everybody else was kind of different. And yeah, if I have to, if I'm playing a pickup game and I have like, we have to win this game, I'm taking Michael Jordan every time. Nice. All right. You can, let's say you're the owner of a NBA team and that's going to be, a, there's gonna be a redraft throughout the league and you have the number one pick. Who do you, who do you want to start your franchise with? Okay. Well, is it, oh, so it's franchise. So this is like, that's for the next 20 years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's say 20 years. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay. Yeah. That's yep. a good choice. Uh, <laughs> um, a lot of right choices, <laughs> but yeah, I'll just go with that. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite gym you've ever played or coached in? Ooh. Favorite gym. I, oh, um, uh, Cameron indoor. That was really cool. When did you coach did you there? Coach there. Yeah. Uh, it was our second game when I was of our third year at Utah Valley. And, uh, oh, cool. it was actually, uh, coach K's 1000th win at Duke. So oh, wow. I, 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 unfortunately I had to be part of that and he beat us, but <laughs> they were, wow. they were really, they were really good. Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, Grayson Allen, they were loaded. Wow. What a cool experience yeah. though. Nice. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? Ooh, geez, so many. If it's a ba- if it's a sports book, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I'll just go for sports books right now because there's too many that come to mind. Cool. Yeah, I love that book too. That was actually the first book that my sports psychologist recommended um, in my sophomore season, and then. F- that kind of introduced me to meditation. Actually, I, from there, I picked up some of the books that he referenced. Um, so yeah, that's one other thing I wanted to bring up that I forgot. You said you started meditating recently. Yeah, probably about, you know, four or five years ago, started meditating and it was just kind of, you know, it just centers you and, you know, it's something you can do every day or, you know, if you can't get it to it that day, that's okay. You know, just try to make it part of your regular routine. So yeah, I started doing it probably four or five years ago. That's awesome. And do you try to get to it every day? Uh, you know, I try, but you know, I try not to put that pressure on myself too, where, cause that's one more yeah. thing to stress about. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I know they say like, you know, if you say you're too busy to meditate, you probably need to meditate twice as much, but, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I try, I try to get to it every day. And even if it's just, you know, seven minutes, um, in yeah. that day, you know, uh, whether it's when I wake up or, um, I don't really have a set time, but I think it's always just a good time just to kind of calm yourself and center yourself. And there's so many things that we think we're worried about and really how much of it actually matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can get that feeling from meditation or from a hard workout. It's just all you really needed to do is kind of shift your attention and then everything you were str- like the thing you were really stressed about doesn't seem as daunting anymore. So, exactly. Yeah. All right. Is there a failure or a difficult time that you wouldn't want to go through again, but that you grew from or learned something important from? Oh, wow. I mean, I think there's so many things like that for everyone. Right. But I would say, you know, none of them were so bad that I would just definitely not want to go through it again. I think all hard times, um, bring something positive, whether it's a learning experience or things like that. But I would say job changes and whether it's, you know, when I was in Orlando during that time, the head coach, 
um, was let go in the middle of the year. And so I've been part of like not knowing if you have a job as part of that staff. And I've uh, left a job, um, you know, willingly when I thought it was good for my career. And sometimes, yeah. but sometimes those are really hard, especially when you're let, like, you know, the staff is let go. And so yeah. I wouldn't wish that on anybody because it's just such a time of uncertainty. But I think also you find out you're, you know, being resourceful and, you know, your networking is paid off and making sure you still have perspective. Um, yeah. So I think I got a lot of good things out of it. But yeah, that's a hard thing that I never want to go through, you know, firing yeah. again or <laughs> being like, oh. so that's what <laughs> yeah. I would say. For sure. Well, that's all I've got. What do you, uh, are you pretty hopeful that college basketball will be played as, as it's supposed to be this year? What are, what are your intuitions on, on that? Yeah, I'm hopeful. Like I think all coaches are because that's what we love to do. I know there's going to be a lot of challenges with it and we'll, you know, we're not supposed to play games until November. So that gives us some time, but you know, we'll see how the NBA goes and college football. And yeah. there's just so many, there's just so many things that are going to come before us and we'll see what happens there. And, Hey, we're just, I think we're allowed to work out our players or start workouts again, July 20th. And so mm. we're just kind of getting ready to get our guys here and start workouts. And we'll worry about November when November comes. Like I said, For you sure. can only control what you can control. For, for sure. Well, yeah. yeah, that's, 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 uh, yeah, I think that kind of attitude is probably more useful than ever these days with all the uncertainty that we're all going through. So yeah. exactly. Well, it's so great getting you on the podcast and I just, I just want to say this on air. Like I, yeah, I'm not sure I've ever actually properly thanked you for the opportunity that you helped give me, um, in bringing, helping me get to Regis, which ultimately set up my life in so many different ways. And I met so many great people and, um, I really am, I'm grateful to you and forever indebted to you for that opportunity that you helped give me. And so thank you for that. And it's, it's really cool to see that you're m moving up the coaching ranks and I'll, I'll look forward to continuing to follow you uh, as your career oh, yeah. progresses. Uh, I appreciate it. And thanks. Uh, Hey, I should be thanking you. I was so hyped to recruit you. You were the Ashland legend. <laughs> you were like the deal. And so I was hyped to get out there and recruit you and i'm glad you picked regis even though i know we joked we all thought you hated your visit i was like there's no way this kid's coming but <laughs> it, it all worked out yeah steve always talks about how like miserable and unfriendly i was oh. on my visit yeah i just oh my goodness <laughs> you were uh you were not giving anything away so like, there's no we're like there's no way this kid's coming it was no, a good shot boys uh, i had to keep my uh my recruiting leverage or whatever my yeah. bargaining yeah leverage. you did you did a good job <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really, really great to talk to you. Um, and we will stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care, Coach. If you like the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. This is the best way to stay in contact with my work, as I'll be sending out new podcast announcements along with other written content. You can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, or sending the podcast to someone who you think might like it. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.